Hello and thanks for tuning into the Cycling Business Podcast. My name is Alex Palmer and each month I'm joined by a couple of guests to discuss a particular theme affecting the bike industry. Your feedback, comments and suggestions are always welcome, either on Twitter at AJM Palmer or in the comments section of this post on cyclingbusinesspodcast.com. In this edition, we're looking at the role of branding in the high-end road bike market. Against the backdrop of a competitive yet commoditized market, where the material aspects of many high-end frames are becoming more similar, we're joined by two guests from two very different bike companies to discuss the role branding plays in differentiating themselves versus the competition. Okay, so let's meet today's guests. We've got uh, Eric Jewell and Julian Franco. Morning, guys. Morning. Um, so I, I always start with a quick intro. So if you, if, if you want to just take it in turns and give us a, give us a quick uh, who you are, what you do, where you're located today. Oh, right on. Okay, so I am uh, Julian Franco. I am um, co-founder of Franco Bikes. Um, and today I am uh, actually home this morning. Uh, home, home is where? Uh, oh, sorry. Home is in the Bay Area. So, okay. yeah. And, and I, so, I, actually say, I actually say home is LA, but I'm currently located in the Bay. Um, and my name is Eric Jewell, and I look after marketing and sales over here at Stinner. And I am actually in the shop today, uh, which is in Santa Barbara, California. Nice. Okay, listen, I, I wanted to get started straight away with, with, with Julian and, and just... Um, Maybe you could tell us a little bit about how you got started with this bike brand that bears your name and, and um, how long you've been, you've been doing that for. Right on. Um, so we started uh, July 7th of 2007 when I went home and we were hanging out. Uh, it was my dad's birthday and uh, conveniently enough, so he would never forget, uh, wedding anniversary because he got married on his birthday. So we were a bunch of family had gotten together to um, celebrate one of which was my cousin and co-founder Hector. And he said, Hey dude, with all of your business experience and with all of my industrial design and product development experience, we should do something together. And I said, yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Uh, but if we're going to do something, it, it, you know, it, it should be fun, you know? And we talked a little bit about it over the course of the day and, while we were sitting in the backyard in lawn chairs, I said, I do something with bikes because we were both cyclists. And then he's like, yeah, bikes, bikes would be great. But we didn't know we were going to do bikes. Like we, we thought something in cycling and then we ended up landing on bikes over the course of the next like six months. So was, was there an opportunity there where they, it could have been Franco on, on some, some other product completely? <laughs> um, not another product because and we very begrudgingly used our name, right? Um, but because um, we wanted to name it something else. But um, so it probably wouldn't have been Franco, but we definitely looked at opportunities throughout the bike industry. And the one that we thought was the most um, disjointed or had the biggest opportunity and was primed for disruption was the actual bike brand and the distribution model. Mm-hmm. Do, do, you want, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit more? What, what exactly was it you thought was disjointed and presented an opportunity there? Sure. Um, so for me, I, so I, I was previously a motorcycle racer. I raced uh, the 250 GPs in the AMA Superbike Series. And for me... Um, I had um, just gotten married. I'd been married for about a year and my wife didn't know me as a motorcycle racer. 
And in her, what she had told me was, you know what? I don't care. You can spend as much as you want on bicycles as long as you stay away from motorcycles. So I took that to heart. And I, I remember the specifics because I tried, I asked my accountant if I could write them off. But um, on average, I was spending around 27 to 28 grand a year at bike shops, just building bikes, right? Like I would build a brand new bike um, and I would want it custom and I'd have a bike shop, build it up exactly the way I wanted, order the parts. And I'm sure they loved me, but I paid mostly retail. And then I'd ride the bike for a while and then, you know, want something different. And uh, I remember at one point I had wanted a uh, this charcoal gray Trek Madone, right? This was, you know, right around or right after Lance's heyday. And I remember a bike shop, I was on a business trip in Miami and a bike shop there had told me that I could not have that Madone. And this was before project one. I could not have that Madone in that color because that was a Madone 5.2 with Ultegra and OCL 20. And if I wanted that color, I would have to buy it with Ultegra and then sell the parts after like sell them on my own and then they could sell me the Durace and all the other stuff that I wanted. And I remember Hector and I talking about this entire process. And at the time, a bike that I had just built. And we did not at all think that was customer focused. Um, from a business perspective, I saw the value in it driving revenue for an IBD, right? For an independent bicycle dealer in that I was buying an expensive complete bike. And then I would come back in and buy aftermarket parts at retail. But it wasn't at all what I, the customer, wanted. And um, I guess this, the concept of like mass personalization um, was taking hold throughout and in, in other industries. And it wasn't one that the bike industry was at all thinking about. And that's what we saw as an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, all right, Eric. I guess your 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 history is a little bit uh, a little bit different as well. And and you came into the bike industry through some some quite senior positions in, um, in other industries. Um, can you, I'm curious to learn sort of, you know, you're obviously a consumer in the bike industry before you worked in the bike industry. What was your impression kind of prior to, to actually working for a bike brand? How did, how did you view um, sort of how the industry, um, you know, handled things like marketing and branding and did, did that lead you to want to get involved in it in the first place? Yeah. I mean, I think the industry, you know, I mean, although there are some big, big brands like, you know, obviously specialized BMC and so on and so forth, but, you know, they're more, to me, they were, they're labels and not brands necessarily. I mean, the, the first time that I really noticed something different was happening is when Rafa entered the market. Cause I think they're the first, they were the first cycling brand, even though they're not making bicycles that really behaved as a brand. It's very different. A brand and a label are very, two, two, two very different things. You know, I think, you know, Nike, Nike is a very strong brand. A6 is a very strong label, but they're very different. And, uh, and I think, you know, um, even today, uh, I, I still struggle to find around me, um, bicycle bike, you know, bike brands. I find a lot of bike labels. And so I thought, you know, um, you know, in order for people to really, um, emotionally attached to a product, but also to an entire point of view of life that's associated with a product, which is what branding is about. Um, I think, you know, there was an opportunity there. So it didn't necessarily lead me to get involved that way, but I certainly saw it as an opportunity to, to get involved and really kind of go beyond the name of a company and build an entire, an entire story, an entire narrative, an entire way of life around it. Okay. 
Um, I guess that, that, that leads me into, you know, my next question was really to ask, to sort of give you both the opportunity to give me your pitch for your brand. So, um, you know, why, why don't you carry on, uh, Eric, from the point of view of Stinner? How, how do you sort of, how do you summarize, you know, what Stinner is all about? Um, you know, uh, where do you sit in the market? Who's your target audience? What's your promise to them? All, all those sorts of things. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I think first, first of all, so Stinner really, um, and, you know, I mean, if you think about Stinner, uh, we were probably one of the, you know, the brands, bike brands everywhere that we really take to heart the fact that we sit at the southern end of the central coast of California. So we really lean into the terroir, if you will, of, of the landscape around here and really think about it as um, in, an embodiment of freedom. So, you know, Stinner is about, um, is about freedom, a way of living that's a little bit different, away from the cities, um, in, in, a, in a very different way of life. It's also about freedom of expression. And you can see that expressed through our paint. Uh, we don't necessarily control um, what the consumers can do with the paint. We actually let them really have free reigns. And we have an artist here in, on staff that our painter. I went to art school. and really en- enables people to really express themselves. Um, so, I mean, those are two main pillars of our brand is really around freedom of expression um, and freedom in general. And then as far as from a product point of view, you know, we value and embody simplicity. It's always, it's always easy to add on a product design, but it's really difficult to remove. Um, simplicity for us is very important. And we try to just design bikes as simple as possible. Um, the last piece is really this idea of triple bottom line and consider design or definitely have a huge emphasis on sustainability um, for a couple of reasons. First of all, we're very, very passionate about continuing to make things in the United States and um, really provide jobs for people that want to make things here in the United States. And we're very committed to um, steel. Uh, steel is a, is a material that's highly recyclable. Uh, and that has no obsolescence that doesn't end up in landfills and that continue, continue can be reused. Um, and we're really, really passionate about educating the consumer about the power of steel, both on a performance level as well as sustainability level. As far as where we sit in the market, um, you know, from a, from a pricing point of view, um, we're slightly about 25%, 25 to 30% below vanilla speed wagon. Um, but, um, if you look at the marketplace between all of our competition, we're definitely younger, I would say a bit of a younger, hipper, hipper brand, um, which is, which has many great advantages just simply because we have a massive social community that's growing exponentially quickly. Uh, we have a lot of artists, uh, skaters, surfers, and, and so on and so forth that want to get involved. Uh, what's difficult about that is some, sometimes our price point doesn't necessarily reflect the 28 year old demographic that is so attracted to a dinner. So that's one of the challenges that we face. Mm-hmm. I definitely, I, I want to come back to that question about speed bargain. So let's, let's hold that thought. And, um, in the meantime, Julian, let's let's hear uh, let's hear your pitch. <laughs> <laughs> let's hear your pitch. That's funny. Um, so there's a lot. To break it up again. It was one. What we're um, what we're about. Where we sit in the market. Can you tell yeah. me, Alex? Um, just really, yeah. What what does your brand stand for? You know, where does it sit in the market? Um, who's your target audience? Right on. So. Um, I would say, well, we always say that, and this might not be the case anymore. We might not be the only ones doing this, um, but at a time, at the time when we first started where before steel and, um, the, I would say the small frame builder had kind of made their resurgence. And this is just me thinking, cause I was recently at NABS. Um, we used to say that we were the only customer focused bike company out there. 
in that uh, we were the only ones that had a direct connection to our customer. We were the only ones that, um, especially in the world of, of carbon fiber bicycles, we were the only ones that really had to, had the opportunity to establish a direct relationship with our customer and then really get to know them. Um, so from our perspective, um, what we really stand for is just trying to create bikes that inspire those that ride them to do more, right? Um, the big thing for us is ultimately, you know, Hector's background, my co-founder, his background is in, in, in industrial design. So ultimately trying to focus on design and at the same time um, being thoughtful about it, um, being taking care, um, taking great care with the design, trying to inspire people through design, um, trying to make sure that the bikes are not what we would call designed for the sake of being designed in other words like ego driven design which is typical to be is typically what you see in a lot of the bike industry um the thing for us was we try to make sure that the way that the bikes were always designed they were designed in a purposeful way for the rider and for the type of riding that they would be doing um you, you see it from an aesthetic standpoint you we don't put our brand name on the bike 18 times um we don't name features um, we name styles of bikes or types of bikes, but, you know, not necessarily like we don't call something an OSBB or. I, I, yeah, I was just thinking you could do with a few more abbreviations, meaningless abbreviations on your bikes, Julian, couldn't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then from a people perspective, because we have this direct relationship with our customers, um, we're big believers in personal relationships, um, establishing lasting relationships. Uh, making sure that we are hands-on and accessible um, to our customers. Um, and the big thing, I think, is ultimately, um, I, I always used to say that cyclists, you, never, you don't start off being a really serious cyclist, right? Like, we all travel this, this journey. We all take this journey as a cyclist. We all start off at the same place. But we believe that if you get this proper level of attention focused on you, your goals, and the type of riding that you're going to do, your environment, what you want to accomplish, that you have every opportunity to travel that same journey and that same path that we once did, right? Probably, I'm sure the three of us uh, chatting this morning. Um, but the big thing is that we do know that if you, as silly as it sounds, is if you don't have a great experience riding your bike, if it doesn't fit, um, if, it, if it doesn't if, it's, if you don't like it, right, if you don't like the way that it looks, right, you're not going to want to come home and ride it after a day at work, right? When your family's going one way and kids are going to games and your wife's going this way or your spouse is going another way, you know, it's, and you got to get up early, you know, to get a ride in when it's cold before your family gets up and out the door. That bike has to inspire you, right? You have to come home and have to say, man, I want to ride my bike and make time to find a way to ride it. Um, that's ultimately what, we try to do with our bikes and we try to make sure that all of our customers have that best, have the best opportunity from day one to travel that ideal evolutionary path as a cyclist. That sounds like this big, hairy, like audacious, lofty, like aspirational goal when I repeat it, but that's, that's really what we believe in. Yeah. In terms of the marketplace where we sit, um, it's interesting. I, you know, Hector and I went to NABS to look around and see what was out there and talk to a couple of builders. And what we came away with was that the, our, we definitely don't compete with any of the, 
smaller frame builders like that directly. Um, while we are adding some bespoke bikes to the lineup, we do some bespoke titanium. We're adding some bespoke carbon. Um, the one, the big thing for us is we absolutely definitely sit alongside the biggest brands in the business. Most of our, most of our customers are considering, they come to us and they're considering specialized. They're considering, um, Cannondale, Cervelo, um, that's, those are probably the three biggest ones that we hear. Oh, I'm thinking about either you guys or this Specialized or you guys or this Cannondale or you guys or, um, you know, Cervelo. Um, we don't hear a lot of Trek, oddly enough, right? I think Trek fans are probably Trek fans, you know. Um, but that's who we sit alongside here in the U.S. Um, overseas, we do get a lot of inquiries um, from the EU. And typically those folks are reaching out to us and comparing us to Canon. Um, from a pricing perspective, we are direct. So the customer benefits from that direct relationship in that we offer custom bikes at complete bike prices, right? And typically a small discount on it. Right? And, and you are, you're 100% consumer direct. You, you, you don't go through any dealers or any, any physical retailers, that sort of thing. No, we haven't. Um, and our, I love bike shops. I love visiting bike shops. I think bike shops are important. I think they're a, a very important community hub. Um, the challenge that we found was that we have, we just never have believed that we would be able to guarantee the customer experience that we can provide if we were to sell through a bike shop. Um, I would not be adverse to selling through a great shop that would give our brand the attention and focus um, at least in that moment that we do. Um, but knowing the world of retail very well and understanding how floor planning and financing and all the other challenges that the small bike shops have, um, it's one of those things where, look, you are hugely incented to sell the bike that's been on your floor. And if you can fit it to the customer, so to speak, then typically they're going to push them that way. So um, we've historically have not gone through a bike shop for that reason. Ultimately, again, it's about being customer focused and making sure that the customer has an experience with Franco bikes that's consistent with what we want them to have. Yeah. yeah. I think the bike shop is changing in general, uh, that there is, there is a kind of a new, a new wave of bike shops, like, you know, the wheelhouse in Los Angeles or even giant Santa Monica, or there's just, you know, bespoke in San Francisco, which is a fit studio community center, uh, blah, blah, blah. Do you think there's a, there's a change there? Or do you think that's just uh, that the bike shop is continuing to be the bike shop and it will remain the same? No, I think there's been a lot of change, right? Especially when you see it up here in the Bay area, you see places like above category and, you know, studio Velo that they do amazing stuff, right? Like I'm, I'm big fans of those guys. Um, and above category, uh, not the least of which because they featured Ducati motorcycles on their Instagram. But um, like, I, I mean, when I look at those shops, I think, man, yeah, would I welcome the opportunity to have those guys talking about Franco bikes? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would love for guys that care that much about bikes and to care and that care that much about their customers offer Franco bikes for sale. Um, the one thing for us right now is that, you know, we're just so heads down and nose to the grindstone in the business. It's tough to kind of pull our heads up and say, okay, Hey, let's go reach out and have a conversation with these folks. 
Yeah, I get it. I, I think the other thing, Eric, is that certainly from I, I see a lot of retailers having to adapt because of the pressure from from um, consumer direct sales. Yeah, and there, there, are, there are those traditional retailers that throw their hands up and complain and 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 say that you know Wiggle Chain Reaction Canyon are taking all of their business. And if they do that, they probably will go out of business. And then there are the smart ones that adapt and that realize that every bike that's sold on the internet still needs a bike shop to take it to to get to to be serviced. They still need to buy parts and accessories. They become more of a destination. You know, they serve coffee, show live bike racing, all of all of those sorts of things. So I think that the smart ones are definitely reinventing themselves. That's yeah. totally true. I mean, you see, Alex, if you were familiar with, uh, you know, one of one of our favorite people and one of the guys that was instrumental in helping us get started in Southern California was uh, Wynn's Wheels. And uh, Wynn Allen has a massive, massive tribe of customers. And he's a great local bike shop that doesn't sell a single bike, right? <laughs> Um, he, people like ride start out of his place. You know, he does this, um, like this death ride in October that goes over the Santa Monica's and 200 to 300 people show up outside of there. We used to be located right across the driveway from him. And Wynn has never, for as long as he's been in business, sold a bicycle. Yeah. That's, you know it's, it's, a great, it's, it's a great model. <laughs> yeah, the, the coffee's free. He's yeah. got a place for people to sit and he works on everything. And his big thing is, you know, he, his motto is simple, right? Like he keeps his customers on bikes. You bring a bike in for service, you get it back tomorrow. Um, okay, let, let, let's get getting back to this idea of, you know, high-end road bikes becoming increasingly commoditized, whether that's carbon or with, with steel, um, and, and what you guys do to differentiate yourself. Eric, Eric um, let's, let's get back to the speed bargain question. And I guess, you know, you could look at, um, the material aspects of a speed bargain versus a stinner or another steel frame. Underneath the paint, there's very little difference between the products, right? You've got high-end tubing. It's built by a builder that knows what they're doing. The geometry's dialed. It rides nicely. Um, how, like, how do you explain the, the vast differences in pricing and perception between product, which is essentially quite similar? Well, I mean, I, I don't. I think I agree with what you said uh, to a degree, and, and a lot of builders. I, I do think uh, Sasha and Speedwagon have been able to differentiate themselves. Um, they, they have a lot of yes, they have a lot of custom uh, components to their bikes, whether it's integrated seat stays or dropouts and so on and so forth that are very endemic to Speedwagon. So the first thing is, you know, I, I think the, the the make and the amount of time uh, it takes is probably a little bit longer at that particular uh, that particular piece. However, your ride is pretty much neg negligible. I think Speedwagon's price is really driven by, um, you know, the brand, actually. I mean, he has, he's one of the few that's been able to build a brand that's very romantic. Uh, there, is, there is a perception of, um, uh, how would you say, scarcity when you think of a speed wagon there is a perception of um joining a community uh that's that's a speed wagon community that's really connected all around the world and i think that's priceless for people you know i mean there's waiting lists that are that are very very long especially on the vanilla side of things so 
I think a lot of that has to do with, um, you know, I think some product detail in his particular case that are very distinct and very inherent to what he does. I mean, you're able to tell a speed wagon from a mile away, um, as well as um, a perception uh, that he's built around the brand and uh, and really the romance he's built around it from from how he fits to his fit tours to really um, Sasha has as a main main component of that brand. I mean, he's really the spokesperson all the time, and he's remained at the center. Um, I think I think it embodies uh, it, it's truly a brand versus a label, and that that's really priceless when you think about what people would pay. You know, mm-hmm. so I, that's how I would answer that question for Vivagen specifically. You know. Mm-hmm. And and what about um, with regards kind of what you guys do at Stinner? Um, do you, do you, you obviously look at them as a as a benchmark as a model? How, how do you how do you differentiate yourselves alongside builders like that? Yeah, I mean, I think well, uh, first of all, uh, from a, from a, from a brand point of view, um, Stinner is less control command. You know, I mean, I think Speedwagon has a specific set of things that you can do within the framework, uh, whether it's paint or whether even it's built or the type of bikes you're getting built, you're, you're getting pretty much a speed wagon. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, we're are, um, much more, um, we, we, we really have a partnership with the consumers. So when it's a paint job, for example, if you go on Instagram and you really think about and notice the amount of different kind of paint schemes we're doing, some of them take a lot of time. Some of them are very expensive, but really the consumers are really driving that demand. Um, you know, we also uh, seasonalize our paint. So very much like the fashion industry, we launch spring, summer, fall, autumn, and holiday, uh, different different paint, paint schemes. And that's really, to us, it's a, bit, it's, it's a big differentiating factor because people really like the idea of new paints coming in like three three at a time and then being being pulled away um the other piece for us is really um if, if you know we we do offer um you know road cross mountain uh and gravel on our website but if someone wants a thick sea if someone wants a track bike if someone wants a specific type of mountain bike uh we build them we build it for them uh they might not be advertised but people know that about us as well so we're really are we feel like we're very much in partnership with the customer and that's very different than a speed bugging which is a little bit more uh you know this is this is what we offer this is what we have and if you don't like it you can go somewhere else but we're really stand for x y and z or probably a little bit more flexible um the last piece is from a brand point of view um we tend to be um we definitely think cycling is very important to you know your life alex to my life to julian's life we think as as cyclists uh we have a a multitude of dimension uh whether it's art uh whether it's um surfing skating um trail running and, and and we do we do build a lot of content that is that goes beyond uh, beyond cycling, very much the way I think we all live our lives, uh, and that, that's a big that's a big point of differentiation for us. Uh, when when you when you dive into our brand, uh, you'll see us. We'll talk to you about bikes, or we'll talk to you about great food. We'll introduce you to great skateboarders, great surfers, uh, and really, really embody a lifestyle that's inherently inherently um, southern, central coast of California. But I don't know if Speedwagon is really leaning into the Oregon lifestyle per se. Um, so I think those are those are some of the the the, the piece of differentiation for us and sustainability uh, which continues to be something that we we put at the forefront everything everything we do yeah just 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 so i'm clear all of your builds are custom or do you do a mix of both custom and production no everything at this particular point alex everything is custom although we are exploring um doing um you know semi-custom route probably by the summer but at this point everything we do is custom indeed 
Okay. So, and again, not to, to labor the point, semi-custom, does that mean um, with things like, like paint and graphics or actually semi-custom with regards to the geometry? Yeah, just more model. You know, there are certain models that we offer and then the Got geometry is, is set and then it's really about, um, you know, fitting it to your need from a specification point of view. Okay, okay. Um, all right, listen, I wanted to just um, move on to, to talking about, I guess, the same question when it comes to carbon. I mean, one of the things that I always used to, um, it, it sort of amazed me a little bit when I was at Canyon that you could buy, you know, the Canyon top end, road bike and ultimate CFSLX, full duration mechanical. I think Canyon, we sold it for three and a half grand in the UK. Um, for the same price, you could buy the new Pinarello frame of fork. <laughs> and, and I thought this kind of summed up, um, uh, summed up this, this issue in the bike industry um, in a very nice way because to me, the product is very, very similar. I know that under the skin, they're both high in carbon frames. They've both had a lot of design and engineering gone into them. They both perform extremely well, but Pinarello have done a job of being able to convince somebody to spend that much more on the product that's that's essentially the same because of the name that's on it. And I guess to Julian, like, how, how do you approach this in the in the carbon world? You guys are making carbon frames. You're competing against companies that have got much much bigger resources. Um, um, how do you again? How do you differentiate yourselves when you're when you're creating product in carbon? Right. So um, noted, right. We're competing against folks with much, much bigger budgets, right? Like we absolutely face that every day. And when we're right now, we're um, developing a new bike and that's absolutely something that we recognize. And quite frankly, it's, it's, it's one of those things where our current bikes have been so good that um, I'll be honest with you. I just have this concern, like what if the next bike for whatever reason isn't as good relative to its competition or something, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the one thing you said, there's a few things in what you said in that one, all carbon bikes are really, really good, right? Like if you were to pull a Trek, a specialized, a, 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 a Tarmac, a Dogma. Well, um, all, all carbon bikes above a certain price point are really, really good. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> there's there's, there's some bikes. terrible cheap carbon out there. There is. I would say all carbon bikes at the price points at which we compete yeah. are really good. Exactly, um, yeah. For, for us, it's one of those things where – we differentiate in one in that the amount of personalization that we offer the customer, which is a customer benefit, but a business challenge to be quite frank, mm -hmm. uh, that as we scale and as we've gotten bigger, um, it's absolutely one of those things that we think of like, wow, how do we streamline this? Um, this is great. This is why we got into the business. This is what we love doing for our customers. But at the same time, you know, it, it gets so much harder when you have so many bikes in the queue. Um, and then when you pair it with the bike industry's current model, you know, and a supplier ends up out of, you know, shifters for the next two months, um, it, it, it's really tough. But the big thing for us is ultimately that concept of being customer focused um, down to every last detail and making sure that when the customer buys a Franco bike, that the bar's the right um, size bar, that the stem is the right size stem, that the crank lights take into consideration what they're going to do with the bike. If they're climbers and they live in a certain area, that it's geared for them. 
Um, if they're going to do an occasional triathlon on their bike, that we accommodate the part selection to, to fit that as well. Um, and that's ultimately how we differentiate ourselves. At the same time, we realize that long term and as we like, there's a lot of other direct consumer bike companies and including Canyon, I think, if I'm not mistaken, and Alex, given your experience there, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you get into a certain size bike, you get a certain size stem. Um, or at least that's the way it used to be. No, ab- ab- absolutely. And that, that was one of the challenges at Canyon was that uh, because of the, in order to keep the model so lean and mean, um, you really had to um, limit the number of, of options and customization and, and all of that sort of thing. Yeah. Right. So for us, what we do is we do, you know, like I ride a 54 top tube with a 130 stem, right? And it's one of those things where that would never fit me, right? I'd end up with a, a stem I'd have for sale on, you know, Craigslist or eBay or something, right? Or selling to a friend and telling them how it's the best stem they would they could ever have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the challenge for us definitely is, so we do, we differentiate that way. Like we believe our bikes are as good and usually better than the best carbon fiber bikes out there. Um, and when paired with our customer-focused approach to building you the bike and then personalizing it through paint, um, absolutely, we make the best bike for you out there, the best carbon fiber bike. From a business perspective, and one of the challenges that we have is how do we make sure that we maintain that while at the same time streamlining things where we can? Because once you reach a certain scale, it's really tough to be buying stems from a b c d and x y and z um, i can tell you that you end up with you know boxes of mismatched stem lengths and old graphics etc um, so one of our challenges saying okay like going forward how do we still offer this personalized personalized approach while at the same time making sure we can get the customers on their bikes as fast as possible right like we want, we, when we have seen, in the few instances where we do sell some standard bikes, a customer can get on a, his bike, ship to their door in a ready-to-ride box in under seven days, right? Five business days. But once you start going through personalization, depending on how personalized we get, it can take three to four or five weeks, right? Now, great things are worth waiting for. But we also know that that's three, four, or five weeks that the customer's not getting to enjoy their new bike. And that's significant for us, right? That means a lot to us. Where are yeah. you making your bikes, Julian? So we make bikes, quite frankly, all over the world. Um, we make um, steel bikes in America. We make titanium bikes in America. We make carbon bikes in Taiwan. And we make some bespoke carbon bikes in Italy. Right. And so, and then from a percentage point of view, what's, what's carbon to, to steel to titanium? Uh, I would say, I'd, I'd say right now you could definitely say it's 80, 20 carbon. Carbon's 80% of it. Uh, I'd say steel for us is probably up to 15%. Okay. Um, and I'd say titanium's probably three to five. Okay. Great. Whoa. <laughs> I, what was I, that? You're my compressor. <laughs> oh yeah, you're in the shop. You're in the shop shop today. We we on we on the other hand make 100 percent of our bikes here, and so you can hear them. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That's great. That's the the commitment to to U.S. manufacturing. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, okay, I, I guess a question to both of you guys. You know, we, we, we've talked a lot about branding and to what extent is this, is it just organic that just, you know, results out of who your company is, how you do things, what your product uh, is slash are um, versus, you know, really curating this and, and setting out on a, on a particular um, to convey a particular brand image in, so in some it, sort of way. I guess I'll, I'll start. Um, Eric, I know you, you have a background in marketing and branding. The one thing that we do is uh, I would say it's all been organic for us. We are, um, it started off with just, you know, hey, you know what? Let's just make sure that every step of the way we're focused on the customer. And over time, it became us talking about us, who we were, um, we're unique in that, you know, Hector's designed every single bike that we've ever produced. So he's in one of the rare instances, if you call up the office or the shop, you talk to Hector, you talk to the guy who designed the bike, right? Um, but, and, you know, we'll share stories. Um, you know, we both have kids. Oftentimes my boys and his girls are there. Um, you know, families will pop in and stuff like that. All that's become a part of like the brand, right? It's this kind of like the Franco family and this like approach to tribe, but it's all been organic in that to be quite honest. And sometimes we think about it and think, man, we got to get better at it. Um, like we're not great marketers, I would say at Franco bikes, we make great bikes. We're committed to our customers, but we haven't approached it with this really thoughtful way of saying, Hey, let's do this and then do this. Um, we try a lot of things and then we happen to be based in Southern California where we're fortunate to have these amazing surroundings. So, you know, we, we share photos from our rides. We share photos of friends on rides. We share photos of customers on rides. Um, but it's definitely been organic. I, I, I think that Alex, I know you and I have talked about this before. Like every year we talk about how, man, we should get better at this. We should be more thoughtful. We should plan better. Um, but to be honest, we just do. Um, I don't know that we're great at it, by the way. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm, of, of course, I'm just listening to Julian speak and, and how you describe your brand and how you described uh, how you came to your idea uh, and then, you know, implementing it and launching it. Um, I mean, to me, the, the word deliberate comes to mind, not, not necessarily organic or, or, or maybe it's, it's a combination of both. So just from a, you know, obviously I don't know a ton about you guys, but just hearing you speak, I, mean, I would say deliberate and very, very thoughtful about how you approach your entire, you know, really deciding what business to go after and how you want to it. just kind of just doing it. Um, that, that's, that's what came across. So, um, but anyway, um, I would say, you know, I think, at the beginning when Aaron started building bikes it was very organic out of a garage and it was just he was just doing it you know I think since we've come together as a team over the last year um, we've really balanced both you know organic uh, things that just pop up in the shop that are just innovation but with really deliberate uh, way of, of operating you know we're really thoughtful about the materials we, we used uh, you know when when titan when uh aluminum is coming our way or our customers ask for carbon we're very thoughtful we're not organic we're actually pushing back and going no actually those are there are principles that we stand behind and we won't we won't actually go beyond those principles very much similar to our human behaves uh, we have values and we have uh, principles and we stand by them and we manage them very tightly uh, and you know so that's that that's my answer you know and i think there is there is now organic 
things layered onto it, like innovation, research and development. If you go into our Instagram today, you'll see a prototype mountain bike that really came out of, of an idea of one of our builders here. And that was, that was not done deliberately at all. It's something that is, is a passion project of his and, and we enable that to happen. And, and now we're incubating and hopefully we'll launch it to market. Uh, but overall, I would say that, you know, we've been, we are, we are trying to be as deliberate as possible to ensure that we focus on, on people, you know, product and the environment and every step of the way. So uh, that will be my answer. Good stuff. Listen, I think we're out of time. So I'd just like to thank both you guys for, for participating and, and, you know, coming up with some, some thoughtful, intelligent chat and debate. Um, so thanks, Eric. Thank you, guys. And thanks, Julian. Hey, right on. Thanks, man. Nice meeting you guys. That's a wrap for this month's episode. As ever, I'd love to hear any feedback on the topic we discussed today, either on Twitter at AJM Palmer or in the comments section of this post on cyclingbusinesspodcast.com. Until next month. <laughs>